Well, this morning we are going to be in Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and be turning there. If you don't have a Bible, let me encourage you to get one in the pew. Luke chapter 15. Throughout uh, the last several weeks, uh, we have been spending some time in different parables of Jesus. We've entitled this little series, uh, Summer Stories. And if you're unfamiliar with what a parable is, a parable was a story that Jesus told, and he used the story as an illustration uh, to teach us something about the kingdom of God. And so as we're thinking about these kind of things, uh, maybe in school you remember reading uh, a fable or something like that, and you know that those were stories that teach us life lessons. Jesus taught parables that uh, teach us something important about the kingdom of God, sometimes multiple things about the kingdom of God. And this morning, we're going to be looking at a parable that may, in fact, be the most famous of them all. There are many uh, famous parables, but this one, this morning, I've entitled the message, A Grand Homecoming. We're going to be looking at the parable of the lost son, uh, also known as the parable of the prodigal son. Some of you all uh, may know it by that title. More recently, it's been given the title, The Lost Son. But we're going to look in Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11, as Jesus tells this story. We're going to read the story first, goes through the end of the chapter, uh, and then we'll come back and kind of set the context and talk about uh, some of the things that uh, Jesus is addressing here. So Luke 15, beginning in chap- uh, chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. It says, he, that's Jesus, also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger? I'll get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry, didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him, but he replied to his father, Look, 
I've been slaving many years for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. When the son of yours came who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Father, as we look to your word this morning, we thank you for the teachings of Jesus. We thank you for these parables. Lord, through the power of your spirit, may you open our eyes to its meaning. Lord, maybe for someone here today who's never taken time to consider this passage or maybe many other teachings of Jesus, Lord, I pray perhaps for the first time you'll open their eyes today to see what your word says. And Lord, help us to apply it and live it out. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to jump right in this morning. As we look to this parable, one of the important things that we have to consider, especially any time that you're kind of jumping into the middle of a chapter like this or the middle of a book, is consider the context. We've got to think about what's going on here. And if you have your Bibles open, I want you to kind of notice some of the headings that occur in Luke chapter 15. This is the third parable that is taught in a row by Jesus. Particularly, these are grouped together uh, by parables that have to do with lost things that were found. You'll see the first parable in uh, Luke 15 is the parable of the lost sheep. And then we have the parable of the lost coin. And now we have the parable of the lost son. So obviously, some importance given here on something lost that is found. And so in this case, what we're going to see, what is lost in this parable is obviously a son who had gone missing, who had gone astray, who was lost. Now, for us to understand uh, this parable and the meaning of it, it's not, lo- not only important for us to look at the other teachings, but we've got to consider who Jesus was talking to. And because this comes in a series of teachings by Jesus, we have to go all the way back for, to the first two verses of this chapter to see the kind of the setting here. Look at what it says. Uh, verse 1 and verse 2 of Luke chapter 15. It says, All the tax collectors... And sinners were approaching to listen to him. So you had this one group of tax collectors and sinners, and we've talked about recently how tax collectors were seen negatively by everybody as the the biggest sinners, perhaps, uh, in the community. And so oftentimes tax collectors were lumped together with the term of sinners. So you had these people who were perhaps morally the worst of the worst, as everybody would think. And then it says in verse 2, And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them, talking about Jesus. So you had two groups of people here. You had the tax collectors and the sinners who were, again, the morally corrupt people of the day. Then you had the scribes and the Pharisees who were the religious leaders. Now you know, uh, if you've been with us, that uh, oftentimes Jesus talks to the Pharisees and the scribes and condemns a lot of the things they think or do. Uh, He talks about how they're self-righteous in a lot of ways and not really following God. But again, you had these two groups of people, and so now we get to this parable of the lost son, and there are three main characters in this story. You have the father in the story, which is uh, is meaning uh, God the Father, and so often if you look at uh, these parables, you'll have the father or a master representing God. And then you have two sons. The older son, who we see at the end of this chapter, those are like uh, the scribes and the Pharisees. 
The religious leaders who think they have everything together, who think that, uh, you know, that, that no one else should be able to, to come to God or is worthy of God except those who are living exactly uh, like he wants them to live. And then you have uh, the, the other son, the younger son, who was the lost son. And this character represents the other people who are standing there, those tax collectors and sinners, the morally corrupt people. Now, I want to broaden this just a little bit more and say, honestly, as we think about this story, honestly, as we think about our lives, for every single one of us before we know Christ, that lost son, the younger son, that is us. Every single one of us. We are that lost son. And that represents all people before they come to Jesus. Because honestly, before we come to Christ, what the Bible says is we've all chosen to go our own way, and we've all found ourselves in a spot heading for nothing but death, in a place where we are completely destitute, void of anything good in our lives because we are dead in our sin. And as a result, because of our sins, we're just waiting to die. So again, as we come to this story, there are three valid ways to look at this story. You can look at it from the perspective of the older brother, learn some things. You can look at it from the perspective of the younger brother, learn some things. We're going to do some of that today. But also, you can look at this story from the perspective of the father. And I think what's interesting, when you consider this story from the perspective of the father, it's so amazing when you stop and consider the ways that the father responds in this story. And consider that the Father represents God. You know, there are many people who believe that God is, is like just someone who's sitting around with a list of rules waiting for us to mess up so he can strike us down with a bolt of light, not, lightning or cause a bunch of things to just go wrong in our lives because we somehow did something wrong. And they have this picture of God that, that is just someone waiting to do that. Now, let me be clear this morning. God is a just God, he's a righteous God, he's a holy God. But we also know, and we're gonna see from this passage, that God is a loving God, full of grace, full of mercy. We're gonna see that uh, here in this story today. And so as we look to this together, we're gonna see some surprising ways that the Father responds in this parable that each of these things teach us something wonderful about our Lord. And so look again at the beginning of this story. So he begins the story by saying, uh, in verse 11, a man had two sons. And these two sons kind of went different directions. The younger son uh, comes to his father and says, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now, we'll get back to this in just a moment as to what he meant by that. But at that point in time, the older son would have got two-thirds of it. The younger son would have got a third of it. And so the, the father divided the assets. And the younger son took this part of the estate. And instead of doing something wise with it, he went out and lived foolishly. Now, in particular, if you think about the context here, it says he went out to a distant country. And so the idea is that he went out to a pagan Gentile country, one that the Jews at that point in time would have greatly frowned upon and said he went out to not only live in this country, he spent it up on wild, immoral, foolish living, wasted everything he had, and found himself doing the most 
uh, unclean job, not just from an American perspective, but from a Jewish perspective, the most unclean job that he could have done, feeding pigs in a Gentile country. And he was so destitute, he was so poor at this point, that he was not only feeding pigs, but he was hoping to eat just a little bit of the pig food. Man, could you imagine being in that situation, even today, even in America, but put yourself kind of as much as you can in the mind of someone Jewish, who this would have been the lowest of the low, and here you had this son who went out and squandered everything and found himself as low as you could go morally, as low as you could go physically, and there he was. Then he had kind of this wake-up call, almost like, what am I thinking? You know, the Bible says when he came to his senses, it's like this aha moment, and he had this change of mind, and his mind changed and says, I'm going to go back to my father, and I'm going to tell him that I've sinned, that I'm no longer worthy to be his son, and I'm just going to hope. You know, I know that he treats his hired workers a lot better than I'm living right now, and I'm just going to hope that maybe he can give me a job or give me something to do that I can eat a little bit of something. And so he gets this speech together, this plan together, that what he's going to say. In verse 20, look at what it says. It says, he got up, and went to his father. And now the perspective kind of changes to the perspective of the father. Look at what it says. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. Think about what happened here. The father sees him a long way off, and he runs to meet his son. Now, when someone, if you've ever had a situation like this where you've arrived to a place and someone is not only waiting for you, but they run to meet you, man, it makes you feel good. I mean, I know there have been uh, times that I've come home from work, I pull into the driveway and my kids come running out to meet me in the car. Man, that just makes you feel good because not only is it a, a sign that they're excited that you're there, but when you get there, you know that the only way they could do that is if they were watching for you. And you see, here we see that the father was watching for his son to come back. And you know, isn't that what a good father would do? I was looking um, on Facebook this week, and I noticed a missing child report that had been filed like earlier this past week. And a lot of people were sharing it. I believe this was in the state of Illinois. It had been shared so much that it landed on my feed. And I clicked on it, and I wanted to see like what the parents had posted. And one thing I noticed when I clicked over to the parents' page is they had continually shared that and shared that, and thankfully, their child was found within days and was brought home. But one thing I know, that no matter how long it takes, that if a parent is a caring parent, if a parent has uh, any sort of inkling within them about their children, they are going to always have hope. They are going to be patiently waiting for their child's return, no matter how long it takes. Here, as we look to this story, we see that the father was patiently watching and waiting for his son's return. And so the first surprising thing that we may notice here 
is the father's patience. The father's patience. He was watching and waiting for his son. I want you to know this morning that God is patiently waiting and watching for you to come to him. And when we think about God's patience, like it's easy to say that, but honestly, I think there are times that God's patience kind of gets on our nerves a little bit. And you may be like, well, why, why would you say that? Well, think about it. How many times maybe have you prayed for something, and the answer be wait, perhaps, and you prayed and prayed and prayed, and you're, you're waiting. Man, so many times we want God to immediately respond to what we want to have happen. Now, God is very patient. He waits on his timing. And listen, I am thankful for God's patience because not only in those moments that we think we know best does God give us what's actually best, but God's patience reveals itself in great ways and other ways. Think about this. Exodus 34, verse 6, God says that he's slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. Listen, if God wasn't patient, he would be quick to anger. I mean, some of us know what that, like if you're impatient, if you, if you deal with that, you know that maybe you're quick to anger and you've got to work on that. Listen, the Bible says that God is slow to anger because he's patiently waiting for us. Second Peter 3, 9 puts it this way. The Lord doesn't delay his promise, talking about Jesus' return, as some understand delay, but is patient with you. And why is God patient? Not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. He wants you, he wants me, he wants all of us to have an opportunity like this lost son, to have that aha moment, that what am I, what was I thinking? Why am I living like this? Why am I doing, why am I running from God? Why am I trying to make life work on my own when I'm just making a mess of things? God is patiently waiting for you to come to your senses and to come back. And he's watching and waiting and hopeful that you will do that. I want you to think about your life, Christian. If you're a believer today, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, I want you to think about what your life would be like if God had not been patient with you. Think about it. As many times as maybe you've made a mess of things, many times have I made it, like if God wasn't patient with us, man, we, we would be in a world of trouble. Man, I'm thankful God is patient. And listen, if you're not a Christian today, maybe you've been thinking about uh, trusting in, in the Lord, I want you to know, if you're not a Christian, and maybe you've even given up on God, I want you to know that God hasn't given up on you. And he is patiently waiting for you to come to your senses and see your need for him and to come to him. Like the father in this story, God is being patient with you right now. The patience of the father is kind of surprising when you think about this situation, but now we're gonna see the next surprising response in the love of the father. Look at verse 20 again. He shows his love not only by running to his son. Look at what it, it says. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. Man, this is a display of love. It's not just you know these feelings or emotions. He is showing his love for his son. And the reason this is surprising is when you think about how they left off, how this relationship was going before everything went, went downhill for this son. You go back to verse 12 and look at what it says. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my, the share of the estate I have coming to me. 
Now, this request doesn't seem like a big deal to us, but in the Jewish culture, this is what this would have meant. I don't care if you're dead. I just want what's mine. Or in other words, I don't really want to wait till you're dead. I'm ready to have my stuff now. It, it was a sign that the son couldn't care less about the dad. Man, it, it, when you think about this, and then the situation the son got himself into, you can find, him, uh, find why this is so surprising that the father would respond maybe in this way. At least it was surprising to the son because he expected to have to go to work. But here the father hugs him, kisses him. He doesn't pick up where they left off in the middle of maybe an argument. Instead, he shows his love. Now, imagine, put yourself, if you're a parent, put yourself in this father's shoes for a second. Imagine if your son or daughter returned home after a situation in which you never thought they'd come back. Man, the the joy that you would have, the love that you would show. If you loved them, it wouldn't be about picking up where you left off in that argument. When you think about as much as we love our kids, God's love is so much greater for us than any kind of love that we can show to one another. God's waiting for you, but he's not waiting to strike you down or ridicule you or say, I told you so. He's waiting patiently for you to come to him and let him embrace you because not only is he patient, but he loves you. Psalm 136, 26 says that God's faithful love endures forever. And man, aren't, we, aren't you glad, aren't we all glad that our God is a loving God He's patient and he's loving, but all of these aspects now culminates in a third surprising response, and that's the celebration. Look at verse 21. The son begins to give his speech to the father. Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And if you notice what he had prepared, he doesn't get to finish. The father says, quick, Bring out the best robe, put it on him, bring a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, and then they have a barbecue, essentially. A big party to celebrate that his son was home. Man, there was so much joy because not only was the father patiently waiting, not only did he love his son, but there was so much joy that the father had in his, in his heart that his son had returned that he wanted to celebrate with the biggest feast, the biggest celebration that could possibly be done in that time. Now, why is that? Well, let's look back to a previous parable here, verse 10, and look at one of the main points Jesus is trying to make. Look at Luke 15, 10. He says, I tell you in the same way there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. If you go back to verse 7 in that parable, it says, I tell you in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. In other words, when you come to God, there is a party that takes place in heaven. Man, I I just think about the joy that this represents. In spite of the son's rebellion, here was the father, patiently and lovingly waiting for him to come home and celebrating his return. Now, all of these, as we look to these, they may be surprising to us a little bit when we think about what the son had done. But there's not anybody in this room, 
as you think about these responses, that was more surprised than the original hearers of this story. The people who were standing around listening to Jesus talk because they had a mindset, a frame of reference that we don't have that I wanna show you just for a second. Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 21. This is an aspect of this story I'd never thought about, honestly, till this week. But if you know the Old Testament, uh, in particular these books, they are God's law to the Jews. And as you consider what's going on in this story and the Jews who would have been standing around, especially the scribes and the Pharisees, so they stood around feeling like they were superior to everybody else, feeling like, you know, all these sinners, you know, deserve God's judgment and all these kind of things. Their minds would have gone back to Deuteronomy 21. Now, if you know the Ten Commandments, you know that the Sixth Commandment says to honor your father and mother. That was the Sixth Command of the Ten Commandments. Now, we get to Deuteronomy 21, and beginning in verse 18, God makes it clear what can happen or what was permitted if someone repeatedly broke that command. Look at Deuteronomy 21, beginning in verse 18. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father or mother and doesn't listen to them even after they discipline him, his father and mother are to take hold of him, bring him to the elders of his city, to the gate of his hometown. They will say to the elders of his city, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He doesn't obey us. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his city will stone him to death. You must purge the evil from you, and all Israel will hear and be afraid. There are a couple of things that we can take note of when we read this. First of all was God's seriousness about his law. But also, when you think about the story that Jesus was telling, what the son had done, everybody standing around is thinking, this dude deserves to be stoned. Like if anybody deserves death, if anybody deserves this law to be carried out against them, it's this guy. And then Jesus turns everything on his head and the father forgives him. And not only does he forgive him, he throws a huge party when his son comes home. What the son deserved, he didn't get. I want to remind you that the lost son represents every single one of us. We all deserve death. We all deserve a penalty for our sin. The way that we have carried our lives out by rebelling against God, we deserve death. The Bible is clear about that. For the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23 says. But I want you to know this morning that the man Jesus, fully God, fully man, who was sharing this story, offered forgiveness, offered hope, offered life because of what he came to do. He lived a life that none of us could live. He took our sin upon himself when he was hung on that cross. He died the death to pay for our, our penalty of sin, to be our sacrifice. On the third day, he came back to life, and now we have the opportunity to be forgiven. I want you to know it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you've strayed. It doesn't matter what your life is like right now. God is patiently 
and lovingly waiting for you to come back so he can throw a party. God wants you to come to him. Think about your life this morning. Do you know Jesus? Has there been a time in your life that you've come to the Lord? If so, I think this morning we can look at our lives, look back at what God's done and what we deserved, and certainly we should be thankful and praising him for saving us. But listen, there's a chance that you may know someone who when you think about that person, you know that their life is headed, like this story talks about, straight for the pig pen. Maybe it's already there. You need to be praying for that person. You need to be reaching out to them. You need to be showing God's love, his hope to them. And maybe this morning you need to pray for that person by name, that God would give you an opportunity to talk to that person this morning and share this story, share God's love to them. But maybe this morning as you walked into this place, you think about your life and maybe it doesn't look too much different from the son in this story. And you think, I've messed everything up. You know, if anybody in this church knew the stuff that I've done, they wouldn't even want me here. And I can tell you, first of all, that's not true, and that's part of the, what Jesus was addressing here with these scribes and Pharisees, that type of thinking. The truth is that God loves you and wants you to come to him. He doesn't tell us to clean our mess up first and then come to him. He says, come to me and I'll clean your mess up. That's how it works. And so this morning, maybe you've been waiting for whatever reason to come to the Lord. Today is your day of salvation. There's one aspect that as you think about your life, I don't want you to miss. The father, while he was patiently waiting, notice what didn't happen, or think about what didn't happen. He didn't go out and force his son to come back. He didn't go out and drag him you know, by the hair back home or grab him by the shirt and drag him back home. The son had to choose to come back. And this morning, you have the opportunity to choose to come to the Lord. Do you need to do that? Do you need to come home? Can you hear him saying in your heart today, come home, come home? If so, don't say no. Father, As we think about this story, we're so grateful that, Lord, you give us the opportunity to come home. And, Lord, while we don't deserve your mercy and grace, you extend it to us anyway. But, Lord, you've told us in your word that we have to come to our senses. We have to repent. We have to place our faith in Jesus, realize what we've done is wrong, and turn to him. Lord, I pray for that person here today who maybe has been coming for quite some time, maybe just started coming. Maybe this is the first time they've heard a message like this. Maybe it's the hundredth time. But for whatever reason, they've refused to come to their senses. Lord, I pray today would be the day that they would come home to you. Father, for that Christian in here, maybe who's forgotten what you've done for them, what you saved them out of, Lord, I pray that today our joy would be renewed in thinking about what you've done in our lives and that we may tell others and pray for others and and share your love with the world. Lord, as we enter this time of commitment today, I pray that however you are moving in our hearts, that we wouldn't say no and that we would come to you. We ask these things in Jesus' name.
Amen.